We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Jordan. How you doing? I'm okay. How are you? Oh, better than you. (laughs) Not as grumpy. I'm tired. He's a grumpy guest today. Nope. Welcome to episode 25, Werner Von Braun. Yeesh. Very interesting fella. I knew nothing about him. Yeah. I explained to you guys like 20 times to you and you were still like, who is that? Yeah. Still don't really know. Good listener. No, I'm just kidding. I know a lot about him now. Probably more than you. Probably. Let's talk about some business before we get started, shall we? Yes. How many downloads are we at? 8,000. 8,000. 47 countries. Woo. I didn't even know there were 47 countries. There's a couple of them. A couple. Just a couple more. I looked at the list and I don't even know where some of those places are. Uh -uh. But thank you for your support. Mm. We appreciate it. Yes. Thank you to our new patron, Manuel. Mm-hmm. We really are excited yeah. about you being in our fam, bam. For sure. Because we're related, and now you're related to us. <laughs> That's how that works. That's how that works. Easy easy peasy. Mm. Why don't you tell the people about our Patreon tiers? Gee, no. you know, we don't need to be that expensive. And we might in the future add like a higher tier that you get like a shirt or like a coffee mug or something. Yeah. Something like that. But just for now, we just got the two. Yep, and I think we're going to start doing, um, on Instagram, we announced a t-shirt giveaway. Um, That'll have ended whenever you're listening to this, but we're probably going to be doing more of those in the future, along with, like, sticker giveaways and and that kind of thing to get you guys pumped. Yeah, maybe, like, once a month we'll do a giveaway. Yeah, I think that's that's good. And I really like the design of the new t-shirt. It's, like, 80s horror yeah, kind of designed it to look like Friday the 13th. Yeah, perfect for Halloween. Yeah. Um, so we got a five-star review on iTunes. Um, Jay Washi gave us a five-star review and said, It's got a little bit of everything. I love listening to podcasts at work and while driving, and this quickly becomes one of my favorites. It's perfect mashup of true crime, supernatural, and humor. It's a little bit of everything. The hosts have a great rapport and keep you engaged and laughing. Definitely hit the subscribe button, and you can thank me later. Thank you so much. That's a great review. That's a good one. We really appreciate those. I love reading them. It makes me happy. Um... So we got we kind of talked about merch, but on our website we do have merch. Do you want to go into a little bit about what more we have? Yeah, we have a little bit of everything. We have t-shirts, hoodies, sweaters, pillows, blankets, iPhone cases, uh, what else? Stickers. Uh, what else? That's it, I think. Decorative pillows, pillows, tote bags. Yeah, tote bags are new. Blankies. Yeah, and then I keep trying to add different designs, like shirts every week. So yeah. So there's always new stuff popping up there. Yes. And that's mysteriesyourpodcast.com. It's not always something to choose from for any anybody. Yeah. And then the, that we also have all our episodes there and um, a link to, you can send us a voice message yes. if you want to be real cool. Yes. We've got one of those so far mm-hmm. in our lifetime yeah. of Mystery History Podcast. And we played it on air. We did. So if you want to be on the air... Send us, a, send us a voice message. Yeah. You can do that on Instagram, too. Yeah. That's where we got it from. So, Mr. History Podcast on Instagram. Uh, so, we talked about our Patreon. Of course, if you don't want to commit to us fully, you can always buy us a coffee mm. um, at ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com backslash Mystery History Podcast. So, you can donate one time and... 
um, buy us a cup of joe. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all I had for for the business. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? I don't believe so. I thought I did, but I don't think so. Okay. I think that's it. Okay, good talk. Um, all right, so let's get into Werner von Braun. Werner Magnus Maximilian Freiherr von Braun was a German-born American aerospace engineer and space architect, which I didn't even know that was a thing. They're fancy. Space. In Germany. Spatial architect. What a name. Um, he was born March 23rd, 1912. His father, Magnus, was a civil servant and a conservative politician, and his mother, Emmy, was a descendant of European royalty. He had an older brother, Sigmund, um, who served as a secretary of state in the foreign office in the 1970s, and a younger bro- brother, Magnus, who was a rocket scientist and later senior executive of Chrysler. Number one, Emmy is the cutest name ever, and number two, these people are smart. Very smart. Like, way smart. Yeah. Very, yeah. They're all killing it. Yep. <laughs> uh, in 1915, his family moved to Berlin. And in 1924, when Braun was 12, his mother gave him a telescope. And that's where he kind of developed his passion for astronomy. Um, he also became very interested in speed records and rocket-propelled cars. One day, he detonated a toy wagon that he covered in fireworks and was actually taken into police custody, and his mom had to come pick him up. Just normal kid things. You know. I feel like that's normal. That's pretty cool. Um, So, Braun learned to play the cello and piano, and his favorites uh, were Beethoven and Bach, and he learned to play them from memory, which I feel like is pretty crazy. Yeah, that's wild. When Braun was 13, he was sent to a boarding school in Edersburg Castle, He actually got bad grades in physics and math. Um, He picked up a copy of a book called Rocket in Planetarian Space and found his true passion, which is space. Space. Space architects. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like a band name. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'd listen to them. In 1928, his parents moved him to another boarding school, uh, Herman Let's Internet, and he started applying himself more to math and physics so he could understand rocket engineering. Hmm. That's pretty cool. It's normal 13-year-old stuff. Yeah, I was not. <laughs> rocket science at 13? No. Um, in 1930, Braun attended Technisch Hochschule Berlin, where he joined the Spaceflight Society and assisted Willie Ley with uh, liquid-fueled rocket motor tests. In spring 1932, he graduated with a diploma in mechanical engineering. That's pretty crazy. And these words are going to be hard, people. Yeah, there are a lot of of German A lot of German. We are not German. No. We got a little bit of I mean, we might be, but yeah. Not fully. No. (laughs) He attended a presentation given by August Picard, who was a famous pioneer of high-altitude balloon flight. After the presentation, Braun met August and told him that he planned to travel to the moon sometime. Could you imagine flying with balloons? This was 1932. He was talking about going to the moon. Yeah. That's crazy. That was what he always wanted to do, Mm. was go to the moon. But no, I could not imagine flying with balloons. Could you imagine flying to the moon in a balloon? (laughs) The moon balloon. (laughs) That's a million dollar idea. Uh, That is. In 1933, Braun was working on his creative doctorate. When the captain of artillery, Warner, well, Walter Dornberger, arranged an ordnance department research grant for Braun, who then started working next to Dornberger at the solid fuel rocket test site at Kummersdorf. Yeah, Kummersdorf. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> That's 
sounds gross. Okay. In 1934, he enrolled in Frederick Wilhelm University of Berlin for doctoral studies, and he graduated with a doctorate in physics in 1934. Although he mainly worked on military rockets in his later years, space travel remained his primary interest. 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 (laughs) Really pronouncing. He wanted to get to that moon. (laughs) His thesis on construction, (laughs) theoretical and experimental solution to the problem of liquid propellant rocket, that's the whole name, Mm. was taken and classified by the German army and not published until 1960. So they scarfed it up. They were like, nobody be reading this but us. It's classified. (laughs) Not up in here. No. By the end of 1934, his group had successfully launched two liquid fuel rockets that rose to heights of two miles. Mm. That's pretty crazy. Pretty far. Going from balloons to... Rockets. Rockets. Two miles Came a long way from that toy car. Yeah. During 1936, Braun's rocketry team... What a cool word, rocketry. Yeah. Rocketry team started looking into installing liquid-fueled rockets into aircrafts. Eric Warsight's was brought to help after Braun showed Warsight's a test. Um, he asked him, are you with us, and will you test the rocket in the air? Then Warsight's, you will be a famous man, and later you will fly to the moon with you at the helm. Hmm. So that was his sell. Yeah. He, wanted he began that with a question. Are you with us? You're going to be famous. <laughs> <laughs> You're we'll going to go to the moon. <laughs> That's pretty good salesmanship, if you ask me. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> in 1937, Helmuth Walter, another German engineer, was experimenting with hydrogen peroxide and calcium permanganate. Looks wow. like pomegranate. It does. I had to mm. not say that. Pomegranate. I had to really try to not say that. Um, that used hot vapors to power rockets, where bronze engines were powered by alcohol and liquid oxygen that used direct combustion to create fire. When... The HE-112 was being tested in flight. They used Walter's rocket instead. It was more reliable, simpler to operate, and safer for the test pilot. I feel like as a test pilot, you should be involved in that decision. Yeah, I feel like let's go with the safer shit. Yeah, let's go know. to the one where I'm not going to die. I don't That'd know how it cool. works, but blown up is not no, cool. doesn't sound fun. Mm. November 12th, 1937, Braun applied to the membership of the Nazi party and was issued membership number... 5,738,692. Woo. So this is where it starts getting sticky, folks. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Anything? Right? Yeah. Not good yeah. Nazis. Nazis. Five million of them? So that means that there was, like, there was that many. That means there was 5,738,691 more. Right. Before him. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my mascot. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's a lot of Nazis. Goddamn Nazis. In 1940, he joined the SS. Another not good. Don't do that. Part of the Nazis. Yeah. You know what that stands for? No. The Schutstaffa. The Schutstaffa? Yeah. Is that real? It is. Did you make it up? I swear. Hmm. That's science. Science. Is it rocketry? No. It's like the, <laughs> it's basically like the, um, what do you call them? Like, Gestapo. No. Those are the people that would come around <laughs> and look for Jews. But uh, the SS was like the highest like ranking like officers basically yeah of the Nazis. So you don't want to be there. That means that you've done a lot of shit. Yeah, that's like pretty where, much. Yeah, they were like not good. But he joined it in 1940. It was kind of like a. It's like 
the t- highest like ranking of Member like of the yeah, Nazi. it's like that's like the top tier. Yeah, don't I don't know. Do that. I'm trying to find what it. Um, You're not going to be able to pronounce it. No, I'm. Sure. I just did. You fuck. What is it? Schutstaffel. I don't think that. Yeah, it stands for Protection Squad. Oh, I think that's in here somewhere. Schutstaffel. Schutstaffel. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound more innocent. <laughs> Schutstaffel. Anyway, he was given the rank of Understutrufer. Nailed it. Yeah, Not in the really. Algemin SS, and was issued member number one hundred eighty-five thousand sixty-eight. Mm. That's a pretty high number, also. Not yeah. as high as like millions, but yeah. it's pretty pretty good. Mm-hmm. In nineteen forty-seven, um, he gave the U.S. War Department this explanation of joining the SS. So this is after everything's done, and he's trying to explain his way out <laughs> of being an SS member. He's like, wait, let me explain. Let me explain. <laughs> He said, in spring 1940, one SS Fuhrer, which is basically, what? That's, don't laugh God, at me. You nailed it. But it's just, I feel like that's great. It's like a watch you and your wheels are spinning. Like, before you get to the word, I could see your eyes on it. Like, oh, shit. It's that's coming. going to be tough. <laughs> it's like Rosetta Stone over here, um, which is basically a colonel. Okay? That's mm. easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Mueller was the colonel from Greffswald, a bigger town in the vicinity of Pinmundi, looked me up in my office, okay? And he told me that Reichsfuhrer SS Himmler had sent him with the order to urge me to join the SS. I'm nailing this shit. You are. I told him I was so busy with my rocket work that I had no time to spare for any political activity. He then told me that the SS would cost me no time at all. I would be awarded the rank of Lieutenant... And it was a very def- definite desire of Himmler that I attend his invitation to join. I asked Mueller to give me some time for reflection, and he agreed, realizing that the matter was of high political significance for the re- relation between the SS and the Army. I called Im- immediately on my military superior, Dr. Dornberger. He informed me that the SS had for a long time been trying to get their finger in the pie of the rocket work. Ew. <laughs> I asked him what to do. He replied or replied on the spot that if I wanted to continue our mutual work, <laughs> I had no alternative but to join. It's like warm apple pie. Ew. That's all I can think of is an American pie. Me too, as soon as he said that. That's the worst. What a weird phrase. Jason trying to get their Biggs. finger in the pie. Yeah. I don't like it. He could have said get their piece of the pie. <laughs> And that's better than putting your finger in a pie. I'm bring fingers into it. That's not sanitary at all. Oh, boy. So basically, Himmler had his eye on good old Von Braun. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't going to do him any good to not join. So right. he just joined. Yeah. That's one of those things that's like, I feel like... The, I don't know. The Nazis are just like a weird... I feel like once you get in there, they're like, you have to do this unless we'll just kill you. Yeah. If you don't do it. Yeah, they did whatever they it's wanted like, to yeah, do. Yeah, it's like, so if you, somebody, te- like, when somebody asks you to do something, they're more so telling you to do something. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah, they you're going to do this. They were telling them yeah. that he was going to join or yeah. else he was never going to do anything. He wasn't going to get to the right. moon. Yeah, exactly. That's, which was his passion. Yeah. So when Braun was shown a picture of himself standing next to Himmler, he claimed that he'd only worn the SS uniform that one time. But in 2002, a former SS officer told the BBC that Braun had regularly worn the SS uniform to official meetings and was promoted three times by Himmler. 
Braun said these were simply technical promotions received each year by mail. Hmm. That sounds... Okay, so for those who don't know, Himmler is like, he's a bad, bad dude. Not good. Not good. Mm-mm. One of the worst. Yep. We'll probably do a podcast on him someday. Yeah. But right now we're doing Von Braun. <laughs> Um, before Braun, Germany was interested in American physicist Robert H. Goddard's research, and they would occasionally reach out to him for technical questions. Braun used Goddard's plans from various journals and incorporated them into building a series of rockets. <clears throat> Excuse me. The A4 rockets would become well known as the V2. In 1963, Braun stated that Goddard's work was crude, but they blazed the trail and incorporated many features used in our most, ro- most modern rockets and space vehicles. Must not have been too crude. Nope. He's he just was trying to putting them down. lay it down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, December 22nd, 1942, Adolf Hitler ordered the production of the A-4 as a vengeance weapon, which is never good. No. Not something you want to be on the wrong side of. No. And the Panamende Group developed uh, to, it to target London. Following Braun's July 7th, 1943 presentation of a color movie showing an A4 taking off, Hitler was so enthusiastic he personally made von Braun a professor. In Germany at this time, there was an exceptional promotion for an engineer who was only 31 years old. That is crazy. I mean, even today, Mm -hmm. that would be a big promotion. That'd be like, well, well, I don't mean to make this comparison. It's, It's just like, that'd be like Trump being like, personally being like you or like, an engineer. Right. They'd be like him, like, I'm not comparing Trump to Hitler, but it's just like, <laughs> but it'd, if be like him, it'd be like him personally just being like, holy shit, you're good at this. Oh, you're yeah. promoted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, this promotion's going to be huge. huge. <laughs> 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 oh, man. We're not political. No, We're not doing it. As soon it. as I started, I was like, wow. Oh, but it's still shit. funny. It's funny. Yeah. Okay. It's just any pick a leader and insert him. Right. It's like the same thing. But it's just wild yes. to think that, like, the if leader of a country. it was your principal at your school yeah. saying that you were going to get a promotion from hall monitor to, like, safety patrol. That was oh, a big deal. Safety patrol. Shit. That was a big deal. Where those, those fucking badges are the oh, best yeah. with the, the reflective. You're, it's all about safety. Mm-hmm. SS General Hans Kamler was an engineer who constructed several concentration camps, including Auschwitz. Not good. Mm-hmm. Not a good dude. He had a reputation for brutality and had come up with the idea to use the concentration camp prisoners as slave laborers in the rocket program. Bummer. Mm. Um, Arthur Rudolph, chief engineer of the V2 rocket factory at Pinmundi. Yeah. We're going to say it different each time. Probably. So just think about how we're going to say it next time. Think of the P word. Uh, yeah. Pinmundi. Pinmundi. <laughs> Uh, endorsed his idea in April 1943 when there was a labor shortage. More people died by building the rockets than were actually killed by them as a weapon. Wow. That's insane. That is interesting. Von Braun admitted visiting the plant at Middlework on many occasions and called the conditions repulsive, but claimed he never witnessed any beatings or deaths that occurred. He denied ever visiting the concentration camp itself, where 20,000 died from illness, beatings, hangings, and intolerable work conditions. Wow. That's terrible. <clears throat> um, some prisoners claim that Von Braun engaged in brutal treatment or approved of it actually happening. Guy Morand was a French resistance fighter who was a prisoner in Dora, which is in that same concentration. There was, like, many concentration camps near the one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
in the, he testified in 1995 after an apparent sabotage attempt, Von Braun ordered a prisoner to be flogged. While Robert Casbone, another French prisoner, claimed Von Braun stood by as prisoners were hanged by chains, suspended by cranes. Some believe that this was a case of mistaken identity and it wasn't really him. Wow. That's terrifying. What a visual. Oof, I feel like. That's awful. Like if you, I don't know, I know eyewitness testimonies aren't ever the most reliable, Mm-mm. but I have to believe that if you're in such a terrible condition and you see somebody who's like doing it to you, their face is going to be etched in your memory forever. Yeah, but I don't think he was doing it. He was just a, No, he a was just like, okay about yeah, it. Yeah, but I'm sure those memories are more vivid than. Yeah, Oof. but. But Von Braun said that he was aware of the treatment of the prisoners, but he felt helpless to change the situation, which is totally true. I mean, what's... Yeah, it's you against yeah. the Nazi, like the whole German government, basically. Yeah. And if he would have not done what they said, like you said earlier, he would have been dead. Right. So... It's very... Yeah. You're stuck. You're rocking a rock. Yeah. It's and like, <laughs> neither way is good. No. It's like rocking a hard place, but worse. Yeah. It's, it's no good. A rock and a rock. Ugh. All right. Braun became engaged to Dorothy Brill, who was a physical education teacher in Berlin. He sought permission to marry the SS race and he, I'm sorry. He sought permission to marry from the SS race and settlement office, but the engagement was broken because his mother did not agree with the marriage. He had an affair in Paris with a French woman in 1943 while preparing the V2 rocket launch. And she was in prison for collaboration after the war and became destitute. <laughs> and he didn't give a shit. No. That's, like, wow. Peace out. Well, that's so weird that, like, the marriage could be stopped because the mother did not agree. Yeah. That's so, that's just strange. And the SS Race and Settlement Office. So yes, that means they were checking the, to make sure your person wasn't a Jew like a or, spy yeah, or, or yeah. anything. That's wild. What a crazy, scary time. Yeah, that's that's like it's like the worst time in human history, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's like the most interesting. Like the way it worked was just so like, yeah, it's so just the fact that this happened is like almost unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That's like something out of a movie. Yeah. British and Soviet intelligence agencies knew about the rocket program at Penamunde, and on August seventeenth and eighteenth in nineteen forty three, RAF bomber commands Operation Hydra which dispatched raids on the Penamende camp that consisted of 596 aircrafts that dropped 1,800 tons of explosives. That's That's crazy. The facility was hit but was able to be salvaged, and most of the engineering team were not hurt. But the raids did kill bronze engineer designer Walter Thiel and chief engineer Walther, which delayed the rocket program. That's pretty crazy, though. After all of that, 1,800 tons, yeah. the building was still salvageable. Yeah. It must have been some shitty-ass bombs. They must have just missed. Like That's the only way that's possible. <laughs> Didn't even get close. Painted the edges of it. That's bad, yeah. Um, in early March 1944, Braun <clears throat> went to dinner with colleagues and said that he was regretful that they were not working on a spaceship. And he felt that the war wasn't going very well. A young female dentist who was actually an SS spy reported their comments, and Himmler said that Von Braun and his colleagues were communist sympathizers Mm. and had attempted to sabotage the V2 program. Since Braun regularly piloted his government-provided, holy shit, he piloted his (laughs) government-provided airplane, they thought he might escape to England. 
So that's another scary part of this time. So everybody's a spy. Mm-hmm. Are there spies today? Probably. I don't know. Not um, by us. We're like not Mission important Impossible enough. Spi- <laughs> spies? I would say so. Everybody's a suspect. <laughs> yeah, but we're not important enough to be spied upon. Yeah, I mean, I really don't care. <laughs> everybody's worried about like their phones or yeah. whatever. I don't do n- nothing exciting. Listen to it all. Yeah, you're going to be bored. I'm hearing a lot of... And be like, oh, uh, her life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. You haven't talked to anybody in days. Oh. <laughs> Poor just girl. get a call from a random number. That's just them trying to talk to right. you. You doing okay? <laughs> just checking in on you. you Seems uh, sad. Like funny. you have a sad life. That'd be a funny plot to a movie. I would be. Just be like somebody calling people. It's like that. the Truman Show, only like different. How is it like the Truman? Because <laughs> isn't the tr- I never seen the Truman Show. <laughs> But I feel like the premise is that he's really on a TV show, right? Yeah, but it's like his whole life is like that. Yeah, so that's like, that's that makes sense. No. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, you ever watch New Girl? Yeah. That was like, a, that was an episode of New Girl. He's like, that's just like Truman Show. And then he like tries to convince everybody that he's seen it. And he like keeps saying things that's way wrong. <laughs> he's like, oh, that's like the middle, right? And he's like, no, it's like the whole movie. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Uh. Uh, Anyways, <laughs> so they were afraid that Braun was going to run away on his plane that was provided by the government, which is pretty cool perk. Mm, it's not bad. I'm just going to say. On March 14th, 1944, the Gestapo, mm. who we talked about earlier, true, arrested Braun and was taken to a Gestapo cell in Stenton, now <laughs> Poland. Let me just spell this right? out for you guys. S... Z-C-Z-E-C-I-N. Succession. Poland. Succession. Yeah. <laughs> Czech. It's probably like check-in. I don't know what that is. Because like, I don't know. It's like somebody what? sneezed and hit their keyboard. That's not even real. Poland, where he was held for two weeks without knowing what he was arrested for. Wouldn't that be scary too? Oh, because he talked at a dinner party. Yeah. That's fucking that bitch. crazy. I'll never go anywhere. That dental assistant or whatever the fuck. Dental bitch it. You can't trust them. Don't trust a dentist. You can't. That's what I'm learning from this. <laughs> Just kidding. To all you dentists out there, we love you. I don't Except trust you. Like, we love you, but we don't trust you. Yeah, I do have like, do you have a phobia about that, Dennis? I do. I'm not a fan. I get really nervous. Yeah. I don't get like nervous, but I'm like, oh, this is going to suck. It's not going to so, be fun. Can I tell you a quick story? I guess. We're doing good on time. <laughs> so here's a story for all you kids. So I freak out. I have anxiety. Y'all know that. I went to the dentist to get a root canal done. I never had a root canal before. Mm. So they're like, do you want laughing gas? And I'm like, yeah. Who wouldn't want laughing gas, right? <laughs> so he's pumping me full of this stuff. And generally, if you have laughing gas and they take it off of you, you're fine, right? <laughs> That's not how it works with me. I didn't have anybody drive me. They just let me go. And I rear-ended somebody. Did you really? Yeah, a Mustang. <laughs> and I had, I know we talked about the White Dragon before my Osmobile. Oh, yeah. It was a boat. I rear-ended this really nice Mustang, and I was like, shit. And I was like, mm, 18, maybe at the time, 17, 18. <laughs> so I get out, and this girl's like looking at the back, 
And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. They just put me full of laughing gas. I don't know what happened. <laughs> She's like, oh, it's okay. My tags are expired. My dad works at a body shop. I'll just have him buff this out. She didn't want to call the cops because she would have gotten in trouble, too. <laughs> so I gave her my phone number because I'm a good Samaritan and said, if you can't get it out, call me and we'll work something out. She never called. I never said nothing to nobody. And here we are. Oh, no. 20 years later. 20 years. No. No. 15? 15. Maybe. 15. Roughly. And now the world knows. So you feel better? Yeah. I got it off my chest. chest. (laughs) I've been holding that in for so long. Freaking drug addict. Man. Laughing (laughs) gas is good stuff. I'll tell you that. And if they offer it to you, always say yes. Take it. Take it. But make sure you have a ride. (laughs) Let me get that gas. But make sure you have a ride. Okay? So there's my story. You're welcome. Very good. Okay. Very good story. (laughs) Albert Speer. Uh, Reichminster for munitions and war production persuaded Hitler to reinstate Braun so that the V2 program could continue to turn into a V4 program. That's twice as good for those of you listening. Times two. Times two. Two times. Two times. He thought this would be impossible without Braun's leadership and felt that he needed to be protected from prosecution as long as he is indispensable. What a good time for him to be so smart. <clears throat> about these rockets that he can't be touched by Hitler. What a good time for him to be so smart. <laughs> what a sentence. I mean, but yeah, true. Man. They're like, you need, we need his brain. Yeah. And then Hitler's like, oh, fuck, you're right. Nobody will ever say that about me or yeah, you. He's like, I never even thought about a V4 program. <laughs> V4? That's times two. That's two more. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. On September 7th, 1944, 21 months after the project started, the A-4 that was renamed the V-2 was launched toward England. Um, V stood for, this is going to be a tough one, Vergelt Uns Waffle. I would have said Verge Tongues Waffle. Verge Tongues Waffle. (laughs) Yeah, you get it. Or... More commonly known as Vengeance Weapon, That's which where is I would better. Have gone with. I like that one. Yeah. This attack killed three people and injured 17. Unlike the V1, you could not hear or see the V2 as it traveled faster than the speed of sound. That's pretty fast. Pretty fucking fast. Yeah. And scary. Yeah. And there's wow. a picture that we'll share later of the, like, the site of where it hit. Pretty, pretty big crater. Pretty big. It's pretty uh, amazing that only three people died. I was died. just about to say that. Yeah, because it's... Because it looks like it took out a whole building. Yeah, like this building is like just a couple walls are up. It's... Yeah, and there's a big-ass crater. Mm. Big yeah. ass. Big ass. Big ass. After the crash, parts were sent to an Annapolis lab where Goddard was there doing research for the Navy. Goddard reported to have recognized components he'd invented and believed his brainchild had been turned into a weapon. Dun, dun, dun. I hate when that happens. That's whenever Braun told him his stuff wasn't good, remember? Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, this bitch, Mm-mm. he knows that she's good. Later, Braun would comment, I have a very deep and sincere regret for the victims of the V-2 rockets, but they were victims on both sides. A war is a war. When my country's at war, my duty is to help win that war. Braun's interest in rockets was more for space travel, not for killing people. Yeah. So his good intentions turned bad. And he's right. I mean, that's true in any war. I mean, yeah, there's some casualties of people that aren't involved. What are they called? Casualties of war. No, innocent people. What are they called? Innocent people. No, there's a word. Uh, Civilians. Bystanders. Civilian casualties. Mm, Yeah, that's what it is. Bang, bang, bang. Nailed it. 
Yeah. But there's always civilian <clears throat> casualties in war, which doesn't make it right. But no. I mean, they would have got there anyway. Yeah, just eventually taken longer. Yeah, yeah, the war probably would have been over though. Probably, so they might not have gotten there. No. Way to go, so, Bron. Way to go, Bron. Good job, Bron. Together, the V two attacks estimated to have killed about nine thousand civilians and military personnel. Ooh, so that's, that's a, a lot. lot. Yeah, that is a lot. There was yeah. There was a map I found on dailymail.com. Have you ever been there to that? Yeah. yeah. They had like a a map that showed every V2 attack and mm. like it was there was a lot of them. Damn. Yes. He also went on to say that Germany or himself had never seen a Goddard patent. So he was allowed to use it because he didn't see a patent. And said <laughs> that him stealing work from Goddard was the furthest thing from the truth. But there were no patents. Mm. So why would he say that if he didn't take some? True. Braun said that his research lacked the specificity of liquid fuel experimentation with rockets. Hmm. Hmm. I feel like that was like a dig. Mm-hmm. Like he, like he ain't got no- this shit. He ain't got nothing He ain't good. got what we got. No. Under the Nazi regime, only military development of rockets were allowed, and large facility was built at the village of Penamunde. <laughs> in northern Germany on the Baltic Sea. Um, Dornberger became the military commander, and Braun was the technical director. They collaborated with Luftwaffe, I like it, to develop liquid fuel rocket engines for aircraft and jet-assisted takeoffs. They also developed the long-range A-4 ballistic missile and the supersonic Wasserfall anti-aircraft missile. It's hmm. a lot of missiles. Um... The Soviet army was about 100 miles from Penamunde in early 1945 when von Braun told his planning staff to decide how um, and to whom they should surrender. Whom? Whom. Braun and his staff decided to try to surrender to the Americans. Kamler ordered relocation of his team to central Germany, but a conflicting order from an army chief ordered them to join the army and fight. That is very conflicting. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, deciding that Kamler's order was their best bet, yeah, to defect to America, von Braun created documents and transported 500 of his team to the area around Middlework, where they resumed their work in Bletcher Road and then surrounding towns until February 1945. They were scared their documents would be destroyed by the SS, so Braun ordered the blueprints to be hidden in an abandoned iron mine in the Harz Mountain Range near Gosler. Hmm. That's pretty crazy. That is crazy. In early April, Kamler ordered the engineering team, around 450 specialists, to be moved by train into Abaramagu in the Bavarian Alps. They were closely guarded by the SS with orders to execute if they were able to fall or if they were to fall into enemy hands. Braun managed to convince SS Major Jumer to order the dispersal of the group into nearby villages so that they would not be an easy target by U.S. bombers. April 29th, 1945, Amarabagu. <laughs> it, sounds like, it sounds like a Dr. Seuss village. Amarabagu. Amarabagu. Um, was captured by Allied forces who seized the majority of the engineering team. Mm-mm-mm. Several of the engineering team, including Braun and Dornberger, made it to Austria on May 2nd, 1945. Von Braun's brother and fellow rocket engineer Magnus approached 
an American private from the U.S. 44th Infantry Division, and said in broken English, My name is Magnus von Braun. My brother invented the V2. We want to surrender. Pretty ballsy. Yeah, that's... He must have wanted to get out of there real bad. I would say so. Yeah. After their capture, Warner von Braun told the press, We knew that we had created a new means of warfare, and the question as to what nation, to what victorious nation, we were willing to entrust this brainchild of ours was a moral decision more than anything else. We wanted to see the world spared another conflict such as Germany had just been through, and we felt that only by surrendering such a weapon to people who are guided not by the laws of materialism, but by Christianity and humanity, could such an assurance to the world be best secured? So that's pretty noble. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would have happened if they would have gave it to somebody else? Yeah, probably been screwed. Mm-hmm. Who knows? So they made the right choice. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, true. Um, the U.S. Counterintelligence Corporation managed to find the location of these documents, the ones that they hid. Mm-hmm. Um, after a lengthy interrogations and recovered 14 tons of V2 documents That's by insane. May 15th, 1945. Holy shit. Yeah. That's a lot of trees. That's a lot of paper. Whoa. 14 tons. Damn. Von Braun had been at the top of the blacklist, which was a code name for the list of German scientists and engineers targeted for immediate interrogation by U.S. military experts. Yeah, and rightfully so. I mean... They want to know what they know. Yeah. Braun was briefly detained at the Dustbin Interrogation Center at Cransbury Castle, where the elite of the Third Reich's economic, scientific, and technological sectors were debriefed by the U.S. under a program called Operation Overcast. Sounds pretty badass. Yeah. Subsequently known as Operation Paperclip. I like Overcast better. Yeah. Good choice. More ominous. Yeah. On June 20th, 1945, the U.S. Secretary of State approved the transfer of Von Braun and a specialist to the U.S., but it was not announced to the public until October 1st, 1945. Mm-hmm. So, what, five, six months later? They wanted to keep it on the DL. Understandably so. Yeah. That's <clears throat> the first seven technicians arrived in the U.S. at Newcastle Army Airfield, just south of Wilmington, Delaware, on September 20th, 1945. They were then flown to Boston and taken by boat to the Army Intelligence Service Uh, Center in Boston Harbor. Most of them were transferred to Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland, enabling them to continue their rocketry experiments. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's kind of shady that they're like Nazi scientists, but I mean, they're still like super smart people. So, if you have them here, yeah, exactly. It's like if you have them here, you might as well like just throw them in a cell somewhere, like use their brain for good. Yep. Braun and a few of his remaining staff was transferred to their new home in Fort Bliss, just north of El Paso. Braun complained about their living conditions and had trouble accepting he was now the subordinate to a pimply 26-year-old named Jim (laughs) Hamill. He was an Army major and had an undergraduate degree in engineering. Hamill never changed anything for Braun about the living situations, and every new rocket idea he gave was dismissed. That's... I mean, I understand that side of it, too, because you're like, you're, all of a sudden you're in charge of a bunch of Nazis. Well, and just like with the spy thing, could he be sabotaging and like pro- giving yeah. something that could blow up that they're not smart enough to understand? Like, that's, yeah. you'd have to take some time to... Trust, build yeah. some trust. And, and like, then I'm sure they program them almost from what they knew to be on our side. And I'm sure they don't speak, because he said he spoke to that 
army person in the Germany yeah. in broken English. So it doesn't sound like they could communicate very clearly. Yeah. So it's probably a big just break in communication. While at Fort Bliss, they trained military, industrial, and university personnel in the ins and outs of rockets and guided missiles. They were a part of the Hermes Project, which was uh, started in the results of the German attacks. They helped refurbish, assemble, and launch a number of V-2s that had been shipped from Germany to the White Sands Proving Ground in New Mexico. They continued to study future potential of the rockets for military and research applications. Since they were not permitted to leave the Fort Bliss uh, leave Fort Bliss without military escorts, Von Braun and his colleagues began to refer to themselves as POPs, which were prisoners of peace. Mm, except they were making rockets to kill people. Yeah, not I very mean, peaceful. No. In 1950, at the start of the Korean <clears throat> War, Braun and his team were sent to Huntsville, Alabama, which was his home for the next 20 years. Uh, between 1952 and 1956, Braun led the Army's rocket developmental team at Redstone Arsenal, resulting in the Redstone rocket, which was used for the first live nuclear ballistics missile testing conducted by the U.S. Cool. Um, so he's now involved with nuclear stuff. Great. Still not great. Mm-mm. Even for America. Like, yeah, nobody shaky. need to be doing nuclear stuff. Work on Redstone led to development of the first high-precision inertial guidance system on the Redstone rocket. Uh, Von Braun, now the director of the Developmental Operations Division of the Army Ballistics Missile Agency. (laughs) Damn, what a title. So many fucking words. That would be so expensive to put on a t-shirt. Could you be like, somebody's like, oh, what do you do? I'd be like, oh, I'm the Developmental Operations (laughs) Division. (laughs) Damn. Uh, anyways, him and his team developed the Jupiter C, a modified redstone rocket. The Jupiter C successfully launched the West's first satellite, Explorer 1, on January 31st, 1958. This event signaled the birth of America's space program. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Despite the work on the redstone rocket, the 12 years from 1945 to 1957 were the most frustrating for Braun. The Soviet Union designed the new Sputnik program, and America was not very interested in Braun's work or views, and gave him a very small rocket-building program. The press only cared about Braun's past as a member of the SS and the slave labor he used to build his V-2 rockets. I mean, yeah. Not very good. That's that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, it's hard to shake that. Yeah. In 1952, Braun first published, um, or Braun first published his concept of a crude space station in Collier's weekly magazine series of articles titled Man Will Cocker Space Soon. He's pretty confident. So that's kind of, yeah. His concept was a space station that would be constructed using rockets with recoverable and reusable ascent stages, which would be a toroid structure with a diameter of 250 feet and would be a rotating wheel-shaped space station. The purpose of the space station would be to provide an assembly platform for crewed lunar expeditions. Decades later, 2001 A Space Odyssey would design the space station with Braun's concept in mind. When Braun envisioned these expeditions, it was only on a very large scale, with a total of 50 astronauts traveling through three huge spacecrafts, each 160 feet long and 100 feet in diameter, and driven by a rectangular array of rockets, uh which included 30 rocket propulsion engines. That's pretty big. Yeah, that's huge. And whenever you think about space, like, because we know of space, 
and like the rockets. Yeah. 50 people. That's a fuckload. That's no, you only have like four. Yeah. And 30, think about how big 30, 100 feet in diameter. That's, and 30 propulsion rockets. That'd be, Mm. you burn some grass. I'm going to be honest. Feet really don't do anything for me. I can't really vision, envision that. So, 30 rockets. I feel like that's a lot. So 100, think of 10 basketball feet stacked on top of each other. That's 100 feet. 10 what? Basketball what? Basketball hoops. Oh. Oh. How many? 10? 10 of them. Ooh. Ooh. That's a lot. Or just think of like a 10-story building. That's probably like Ooh, 100-ish yeah, feet. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. That's probably a little less actually than a, or that's probably a little more than 100 feet. That's a, That's pretty big. Yeah. You put that into perspective for me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So it's basically a building with 30 rockets on the bottom of it. And (laughs) And 50 50 people. (laughs) (laughs) Just just flying around because they don't have any gravity. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, The space station would establish a permanent lunar base by using emptied cargo holds of their craft as shelters and would explore their surroundings for eight weeks. I feel like that's shorter, right? Because... To get there, I don't know how long it takes to get to the moon, but I know it's a lot, like, very, <laughs> it takes a long time. Wow. Like, it's scientist? like a year, no, right? No, Not a year to get there, but, it, like, the whole thing takes a year. I think it's, like, six months. So then to get back, it would take what? No, like, the whole mission's, like, six months. I don't believe you. I'm pretty sure the person who was in space the longest was, like, in the, up there a year. Because they came back and, like, had to relearn how to walk because their muscles were all Ooh, messed up. Oh, yeah, that's... There's, yeah. there's no, like, resistance. So you I come f- back and you're, like, jello. I feel like, yeah. I feel like eight weeks, though, isn't that long to do all this. Two months. I mean, I know, but you're going to do all this lot. work for two months. But I think it's going to go on, like, cycles where they go and then they... I think this is, like, he wanted it to be a permanent thing. So they just ship 50 people up right, yeah. at a time and whatever. Yeah. At the time, Braun was also working out a preliminary concept for a human mission to Mars. Hmm. That would use his space station as a staging point. So they go to that big old 10-foot building. (laughs) Oh, that thing? That thing. And then they would go to Mars. The Mars project, where he had envisioned a fleet of 10 spacecrafts, Three of them uncrewed and each carrying one 200-ton wing lander. Damn. In addition to cargo and nine crew vehicles transporting a total of 70 astronauts. He was thinking real big. He was. Braun had written a science fiction novel on the subject set in the year 1980, but it was rejected by 18 publishers because they're like, this guy's crazy. (laughs) He published small portions of his book in magazines. His whole manuscript titled Mars, a technical tale, did not appear in printed form until 2006. Wow. That wasn't that long ago. Mm-mm. Hmm. Thinking it would help create uh, greater public interest, Braun started working with Walt Disney and Disney Studios as a technical director for three films about space exploration. The initial broadcast 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 <laughs> the initial broadcast devoted to space exploration was Man in Space, which first went on air March 9th, nineteen fifty five, drawing forty million viewers. That's a lot of viewers. That's crazy. There's some weird shit about Disney too. Yeah, we'll have to do an episode on him. Because he's like a Nazi sympathizer, he was, yeah, right? Yeah, he's yeah. kind of strange. And he's very racist. Is he? Have you ever seen any of like the early <clears throat> cartoons? No, like, they like like Daffy Duck and stuff. It is Josh bought this like tin of old DVDs of the old one. And it is racist as hell. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah. So racist. I don't know. So here is a timeline of some of the events that happened. October 4th, 1957, Sputnik 1 launches the space race between the Soviet Union and the U.S. Um, November 3rd, uh, 1957, the Soviet launches Sputnik 2, which is the first living passenger. The dog, Laika, was aboard. I hope she's fine. Um, I'm sure she is. Yeah, still. just think good thoughts. Yeah. December 6th, 1957, Vanguard TV-3, carrying a grapefruit-sized satellite, explodes at launch. A failed response to Sputnik, um, the Sputnik launch by the U.S. Mm. A grapefruit. Mm-hmm. And this guy's thinking about putting a fucking building in space and like, can't <laughs> get this grapefruit up there. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, you know. <laughs> July 29th, 1958, NASA was established. Mm. Hmm. One day later, the 50th Redstone rocket was successfully launched from Johnston Atoll in the South Pacific as part of Operation Hardtack. Where do they get these names? Hard tech. It looks like hardy tech. Hardy tech. <laughs> We're having another hardy tech. <laughs> Is that the bulls, the bears, the bulls, the bulls, the bears? Yeah. Hardy tech. Um, two years later, NASA opened the Marshall Space Flight Center at Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, and Braun was transferred there. He had a face-to-face meeting with Herb York. What a name. Herb York. Herb. Is it Herb or Herb? Herb. Nobody. Knows. I think it's Herb whenever it's a name. But it's Herb. But if, if it's, it's a like plant, a it's an herb. Yeah. I don't know. I like to call it Herb. herb. Like at Subway, I get Herbs and Cheese. <laughs> and like in Resident Evil. Yeah. I need some gotta, Herbs. Yeah. I need some Herbs. You got some Herbs. I got to heal myself. Uh, anyway, this Herb guy, he was at the Pentagon and told him he would only <clears> go to NASA if development of Saturn was allowed to continue. Von Braun became the center's first director on July 1st, 1960. So he played hardball. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come here, but only if you do this. He's been doing that his whole damn life. It's working. Why would he stop? It is. Braun's early years at NASA included a failed four-inch flight, during which the first uncrewed Mercy Redstone rocket only rose a few inches before landing back in the launch pad. Not That'd good. That'd be embarrassing. Yeah, especially. Like, guys, you want to come see this rocket launch? <laughs> right. Let's get everybody, and I'm the director. Yeah. And sure. then it's like, Ain't nothing going to go wrong. <laughs> the failure was due to a power plug with only one prong... Or one prong was shorter than the other because a worker filed it to make it fit. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that guy got fired. He's like, he's like not on my watch. <laughs> right. I'm going to make this shit fit. And he's like, what, yo, what happened? Y'all see that? <laughs> what happened? Um, the difference in length between the one prong made the launch system detect the difference in power. Um, and it, it basically triggered a shutoff yeah. of the engine. Yeah. Which it should. And thank God it didn't go, like, higher than four inches. Like, it went to fucking space. (laughs) And then it was like, uh uh-oh. Wouldn't that guy? fucking space. (laughs) Like, who hired this man? He's a real do-it-yourselfer. He's all in shadow fit. I'll make it fit. Right. Don't you worry about that. That ain't no problem. Dang. I mean, he he dedicated. Oh, that's funny. To fucking space. (laughs) In January 1961, <laughs> flight of Mercury Redstone 2 experienced some problems, and Braun insisted on one more test before the Redstone would be ready for a man. Braun, that just sounds so funny. Be ready for a man. <laughs> Braun fought with other people in the program, and his stubbornness was the reason the Soviets beat the U.S. by putting the first man in space the following month. He just wanted to be 
double, triple, quadruple sure that this shit was going to work before he put a man in there. Probably a good call. I mean, yeah. We Americans like to kind of just be willy-nilly and file plugs and shit. So good for you, Bron. Mm -hmm. You're right. The Marshall Center's first program was the development of a Saturn rockets to carry heavy payloads into and beyond Earth's orbit. The Apollo program was formed and moon flights were developed. In 1962, he converted his prior plan of a flight uh, engineering concept with an Earth Earth orbit rendezvous technique to a lunar orbit rendezvous concept. I love that word. Rendezvous. I think it sounds better whenever you say rendezvous. Nope. I like it. Rendezvous. It sounds very like, I don't know. Uh, Dumb? No. Ron Davis. Sounds like somebody's name. It's Ron Davis. Ron Davis. That's the one you Americanize it. Ron Gonna Davis. Go, let's go Ron Davis. It sounds like uh, Brad Pitt and Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> yeah. Ron Davis. I need me a thousand Nazi scouts. <laughs> a river derchy. A river derchy. <laughs> That's such a good movie. During Apollo, he worked closely with his former Pentamunde teammate, Kurt Dubas. Dubus. Dubus. Who was the first director of the Kennedy Space Center. His dream to help mankind set foot on the moon became a reality on July 16th, 1969, when the Saturn V rocket launched the crew of Apollo 11 on its historic eight-day mission. Over the course of the program, the Saturn V rockets uh, enabled six teams of astronauts to reach the surface of the moon. So apparently, what that's telling me is I'm an idiot. Why? Because, number one... I put these notes together. Mm-hmm. Number two, I thought it took a year to go to the moon, and this was an eight-day mission. Yeah, way off. Way off. So don't not don't listen close. to me, folks. Mm-mm. Eight days nope. is what it takes. Yeah, not a year. Not a year. Not even close. <laughs> not even a, two weeks. Not even not barely even. one week. <laughs> <laughs> a week and a day, okay? Yes, one week since we for the moon. He was instrumental in launching of the Experimental Applications Technology Satellite. He traveled to India and hoped that the program would be helpful for bringing a massive educational television program to help the poorest people in that country. Hmm. I don't know why I said television. Television. I like it. The second half of that got some lecture love. That's how everybody should say (laughs) it. Television. Television. Uh, during 1966 and 1967, Braun anticipated in a field trip to Antarctica that was organized for him and several members of top NASA management. The goal of this trip was to determine whether the experience gained by the U.S. scientific and technological community during the exploration of Antarctica wastelands would be useful for the crude exploration of space. So basically they wanted to use that setting yeah, to, as, spa- like as the moon. Right. Yeah. As like Because it was, looked like the moon. Yeah, I guess so. That's what they say. Yeah. So basically just like a testing facility. Yeah, so they can practice. Yeah. Uh, In an internal note dated January 16th, 1969, Braun had confirmed to his staff that he would stay on as a center director at Huntsville to head the Apollo Applications Program. He referred to this time as the moment in his life when he felt the strong need to pray, stating, I certainly prayed a lot before and during the crucial Apollo flights. A few months later on occasion of the first mood landing he expressed his optimism that the saturn v carrier system would continue to be developed advocating human missions to mars in the 1980s so the moon just wasn't good enough now he wants to go to mars never enough got a little taste got yep he's addicted 
On March 1st, 1970, Braun and his family relocated to Washington, D.C. when he was assigned the post of NASA's Deputy Associate Administrator for Planning at NASA headquarters. Another big, long name. Another mouthful. They like him. After a series of conflicts associated with the Apollo program and facing severe budget constraints, Braun retired from NASA on May 26, 1972. It was apparent that his vision did not match up with NASA, and they were incompatible. It was more frustrating for him to see popular support for a continued presence of a man in space dramatically drop once the goal uh, to reach a man on the moon had been accomplished. Yeah, so they didn't care anymore. So they yeah, got what they wanted. Basically, they're like, we want to see somebody, and then they did, and they're like, cool. Okay, bye. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Braun developed the idea of a space camp to train children in the fields of science and space technologies as well as help their mental development the same way sports improve physical development. So that's pretty cool yeah. that he's trying to to get it out there for the next generation. After leaving NASA, Braun became vice president for engineering and development at the aerospace company Fairchild Industries in Germantown, Maryland on July 1st, 1972. Um, in 1973, during a routine physical, Braun was diagnosed with kidney cancer, which could not be controlled with medicine at the time. They didn't have the technology. He continued his work as much as he could, which included accepting invitations to speak at colleges and universities. He was eagle to e- eagle. He's, he's eagle. <laughs> he was. He was eagle <laughs> he, and eager to spark interest in human spaceflight and rocketry to the next generation of aerospace engineers. It's hmm. pretty cool. Braun helped establish and promote the National Space Institute as a precursor to the present-day National Space Society in 1975 and became its first president and chairman. In 1976, he became scientific consultant to Lutz Kaiser, the CEO of OTRAG the first commercial developer and producer of the space launch vehicles, and a member of the Daimler-Benz Board of of Directors. You got it. Um, His deteriorating health forced him to uh, retire from Fairchild on December 31st, 1976. When the 1975 National Medal, (laughs) Medal, Medal of Science was awarded to him in early 1977, he was hospitalized and unable to attend the ceremony at the White House. That's a bummer. Yeah. That's a big bummer. It's like his whole life. Yep. Von Braun died June 16th, 1977 of patri- pa- patriotic, patriotic cancer. cancer. <laughs> God damn it. Love this country. <laughs> uh, pancreatic cancer in Alexandria, Virginia at the age of 65. He was buried at the Ivy, Ivy Hill Cemetery. Now I got some fun facts for you. Now, this whole thing's been pretty fun with the facts, but I got more, okay? He became a naturalized citizen of the U.S. in April 15th, 1955. Mm-hmm. While at Fort Bliss, he proposed to his maternal first cousin, ew, Marie-Louise von Kurstrop. Ew. And he married her in a Lutheran church in Landshut, Germany on March 1st, 1947, after he was given permission to go back to Germany and return with his wife. That's like, so his mom <laughs> told him no on the first one, but like, okay, you can marry She's your like, cousin. I like that one. I know Whatever. Her. She's in the blood. <laughs> I know She's her. got that good blood. <laughs> after that, he became very religious and became an evangelical Christian. Nice. Yeah. He has three kids, two daughters and one son. 
Many believe if it wasn't for Von Braun, we might not have ever reached the moon. We kind of mentioned that. He has many buildings in Huntsville, Alabama named after him. There's a section of Staten Island, New York that's named after him. He's got a lot of uh, roads in Germany that are named after him. Hmm. He has a crater on the moon named after him as well. A lot of names, this guy. Von Braun's a good one. Yeah. Uh, he received 12 honorary doctorates. Wow. I can't get even one. Nope. He got 12. Killing it. No, but not everybody was a fan. Okay, so I'm going to read this little excerpt, and it kind of puts things into perspective. A science and engineering-oriented gymnasium, if I can read. Okay, we're going to get it together. In Friedberg, Bavaria, was named after von Braun in 1979. In response to rising criticism, a school committee decided in 1995, after lengthy deliberations, to keep the name but to address von Braun's ambiguity in the advanced history classes. What are you doing? (laughs) You're trying to keep it in. <laughs> what? I'm just really struggling. I know, I can tell. You really every word you're trying so hard. In 2012, shush. This is serious business. In 2012, <laughs> Nazi concentration camp survivor David Slaz gave a speech in Freiburg calling out to the public to do everything to make this name disappear from his school. In February 2014, the school was finally renamed, oh, geez, Statulicious Gymnasium. <laughs> Friedberg. And distanced itself from the name Von Braun, citing oh. he was no ron- ro- role model. <laughs> He's no role model for our pupils. Jesus. <laughs> That's where Fergie got it from. 1995. That sounds fucking good. That's good. Oh, it's 2014. Actually, this could be true. (laughs) No. Statulicious. Oh, my. That was like one of the worst things I ever (laughs) left. (laughs) Got the bug in me. Ooh, okay. <laughs> okay. So. What a guy. What a guy, Von Braun. I didn't know anything about him. Yeah. Now you know some stuff about him. Just a little bit. It's very much a a good and a bad thing. So he did some bad things. It's very interesting. It's like one of those things you read about and it's like, there's no way that's true. Yeah. And then, it's, yeah, it's true. A lot of them. That's. Just a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of scientists. Yeah. That were taken. Um, probably doctors too. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think Doctor Mengele or whatever. No, he's yeah. He's a terrible person. Yeah, not good. Uh, but maybe we'll do an episode about him in the future. Mm-hmm. Because be it's one. very the, World War Two is very interesting to me just because of there's the so crazy much going shit. on. Yeah, it's just so like. And how did we let this happen? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so our sources I used Wiki Space dot com. That's real. Space dot com. <laughs> Dailymail.com and History.com. So, you got anything else to say about Von Braun? I don't think so. I think we've said it all. (laughs) And then some. Some shit we weren't even supposed to say. (laughs) Patriotic cancer will get you. Patriotic. (laughs) If you're a Nazi and you come to America. I believe. Red, white, and blue, goddammit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no disrespect to anybody. Nope. Sorry for laughs. 
but it was funny. Okay. <laughs> uh, reading's tough sometimes. It is. It is. Especially, I mean, when we're tired. It's a long week, yeah. Okay. So, y'all have a good week, yep. and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.